Welcome back to the latest episode of the CGA Tour. I'm your host, Calvin Glenn Alexander. And on this episode of the podcast, I would do the normal intro, but I actually recorded two separate episodes here. I'm going to play back to back. One is with Brian Troll, the BS man himself, uh, to start out the podcast here very shortly. And the second half is an NBA takes with just me, myself, and I speaking as yours truly. That recorded last Friday before the Chet Holmgren versus Victor Weminyama matchup, which, yes, I got the pronunciations down before the start of the NBA season. So with that being said, we'll go and hop to the podcast talking with Schroll about Cowboy football and a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys and the NFL. episode of the CGA Tour Podcast. As always here, I'm your host, Calvin Glenn Alexander. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by the BS Pod guest himself. But it's not Bill Simmons, instead it's Brian Troll. Troll, how's it going? Great to be here. I, uh, it's a good company to be having the same initials as Bill Simmons. I never thought of that, that before. I wonder uh, what his middle name is. Yeah, if it starts with an A as well, um, You know, a little, little bass initials there going, but you know, it'd be fun. Yeah. If only I had his money. That that's true. That's true. That's true. But hey, maybe you know, maybe 20 years. You know, I think uh, from all the podcasts listening I do of his, it sounds like he was in kind of a similar position money wise um, when he was our age. So maybe that's it. You know, you know, we just gotta get a little more time. Gotta keep working. Keep grinding. Right. Keep the focus. Keep the focus. You know, nobody cares. Hard, work harder. So, that being said here, um, and getting out the uh, Lamar Jackson quote slash t-shirts, want to talk to you about Oklahoma State football here and Mike Gundy's win um, over the Kansas State Wildcats, who Oklahoma State last weekend was a home underdog by 11 or 12 points, whichever way yeah, you look at the whichever books you want to look at. And basically want to go over that game ask you what you think for the rest of the season, what our outlook could be, because I got to say, going into that game, I was not hopeful in the rest of the season. I kind of thought, you know what? Maybe we'll leave at halftime. My dad took me to the game. He was saying, you know what? If it's a blowout, do you want to leave at halftime? And we had that discussion in the car on the way up. So it's been a while since I've done this as an Oklahoma State fan. And I want to ask you, what are your what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I leave the K-State game pretty different than I left watching the Iowa State game. And I don't know if it's blind optimism or or what. I, I, I just don't know because after the South Alabama loss and the Iowa State loss, I was pretty much like this season is done. We got major changes we, that need to be made. Like, there's work to do in Stillwater. And then it looked like Gundy actually kind of got some sense into him, and he used the, the week off and came into the K-State game with with some semblance of, of a plan. Um, the offense just looked better in general. Um, I'm glad that he has just chosen one quarterback. 
And uh, I, I just like I, I think after after a K State win at home, who should be one of the better teams in the conference. I think this team is now at that point where they could probably beat most teams in the Big 12 or lose to, well, anyone in the Big 12. And so it it makes the rest of the season interesting because the schedule is not super tough. And there's a chance two weeks ago, I thought there's no way they'd even get to four or five wins. Now they there's a chance they could get to a bowl. And I don't know if I'm just, just giving him the benefit of the doubt again, that maybe he doesn't deserve or the program deserves right now. Um, but the K state way, there was some questionable stuff at the end of the game. And I don't know if they really deserve to win it near the end, but, uh, but it seemed like the offense kind of stepped up at the beginning of the game. The defense stepped up at the end and there's some pieces to that game that look look good. Yeah, the um, the the start of the game is really impressive overall. Like we we get out to a pretty good size just lead to start out with. Um, you know, into the first quarter, 10-0, which got to say, going into halftime, we were up what uh, twenty to seven. Like I'm feeling pretty good, and that was not how I thought I would be going into the game. I thought it'd kind of be the opposite where, you know, Kansas state, like they put up 49, they put up 49 or 48 against us last year. and We didn't score a point. And it's the same quarterback coming back for them. And of course a whole basically new offense and defense kind of stuff for us, you know, new defense coordinator and then new quarterback for us as well as a bunch of new playmakers for us on offense. So I just didn't, I didn't see it going this way whatsoever to start the halftime. And then the second half get, gets gets funky I think it's the best way to say it is that we're we're talking about scoring nine points in the second half all field goals that that ultimately we did have to score to win the game but the offense like stuttered out so there was a clear odd 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 deal as far as okay what are we doing what's what's offensively going on especially in that second half but the first half I'm not saying it was humming but like I mean <laughs> We didn't put up 20 points against South Alabama. So I was definitely excited and definitely still am excited about, okay, we can score against K-State. Then then your point about the, you know, basically the teams in our schedule remaining here, it's it's winnable. Like, we're looking at a UCF team coming up here uh, in the schedule that currently doesn't have a win in conference. Also a Houston team, also a Cincinnati team, who all three have a combined 0-8 in conference play. I know a couple of teams are only two games in a conference. UCF's three games in a conference, so it's not a huge sample size. But still, it's it's better than I thought it would be for sure. Yeah, I you look at the schedule. Kansas, I think, is good, but they really haven't played a ton of quality opponents. So, how good are they? Um, and it's at home. So, before the season, I definitely thought this could be a game that they could go either way after South Alabama and Iowa state. I figured they're definitely losing this one now. It, I mean, Kansas has some playmakers, but if the defense can kind of step up like they did against Kansas state, if the offense kind of plays both halves instead of just one half, they could win that game at home. So now 
you're only a couple games out of bowl eligibility. You go to Morgantown, which is that's probably a loss because West Virginia looks pretty good this year. Um, Cincinnati at home, you should win that game. OU at home, this is a, se- a separate topic, but this feels like a year. OU beats Texas. OU is kind of on a in on a trajectory to Big 12 championship and a playoff bid. This feels like a year. They come to Stillwater, and they should blow out the pokes, but maybe Gundy Magic and Stillwater and Bedlam, it just, like, something's crazy, and OSU somehow pulls out a win. Um, and so, if that, I mean, if that happens, then you're looking at you go to UCF, go to Houston, and then home against BYU. Those are winnable. I just – I – feel like I am way too optimistic for a team that does not deserve it. Yeah, I, I don't see a... There's not like a big bright spot here from this game. It's as far as, oh, okay, now we have... Now Ollie Gordon really broke out where he's like the guy above and beyond. It was before going to the game, I went, well, that's kind of got to be the guy if we're going to win. And he was really, really good, but already knew he was really good. It, it was just an odd, like Alan Bowman made passes that were great. The the t- I mean, basically, if we could if we could have had some momentum in the second half, we've been able to punch the ball in into the end zone, then I, I would feel a lot better. I would feel way more confident in the offense. But being at the game in person, that's one of the things that I lose is the is the oh wait we went four straight or excuse me three basically within the you know within our side of the field. Um, scoring drives and all ended in field goals. Like I kind of lose that from being at the game where looking at it, I just don't feel as great about the offense as maybe I should, but I don't, they don't give me a ton of the offense just hasn't given me any type of hope or really just dependency and like, Oh yeah, that's what works for us. I think mainly because Bowman's now only started two games in a row. Um, Maybe, maybe the third one against KU, he kind of gets humming a little bit more and, I'm with you. I don't think that's a win. The the OU game, man, that's uh, that's going to be tough. But we've got a couple games in between there. We've got West Virginia and then, of course, homecoming against Cincinnati. So maybe we can kind of get a little momentum going before we play OU and have a little bit of kind of wind at our back, momentum, et cetera, before we play OU. Because otherwise, I, I do think that OU just takes us apart. Um, the, the one thing I do want to say, though, is that if KU beats us, this weekend, unfortunately, that'll be back-to-back years that KU qualifies for a bowl game by beating us, which just is not a great, just, just not something I I want to want to have on our record as OSU football, basketball, whatever. They're KU, but football, mm, not loving it. Yeah, that's uh, that's the stat that they bring up in the broadcast that everyone goes. Ah, did you have to mention that? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, yeah. Yeah, I will say, I don't. It. I think Bowman is probably the right choice of the three quarterbacks. He's not the most athletic, but I think he gives you the best chance to run an offense. Just kind of like if you're if you're going to call the plays that you kind of did at the beginning of the of the game in the first half, where you actually have some pre snap motion. You there's kind of more 
to the offense than a power run up the middle or a screen to the outside that that the first couple games kind of resembled. If you like Bowman can operate an offense, I think he's not going to scramble for 40 yards like maybe Gunner or or another quarterback might. But I, I think he gives you the best chance that if you're calling unique, creative plays, if you – and he struggled with wide receivers dropping the ball. So that's not on, on him really. They need to – the wide receivers need to get their act together. Um, but I think he gives you the best chance kind of just to run a run a, an offense. And then Ollie Gordon I think is special and – he's finally getting used in the, in the last two games. He had 18 carries against Iowa state 21 last game against Kansas state. You just got to use, I mean, he's the guy like he, he is the running back. It's not the other guys. Like this is, you need to be pounding Ollie Gordon. The guy's averaging over six yards a carry in every game, except one this year. And that should like, that should be, your the thing you hold on to as an offense is you can establish and run the ball and then Bowman can sling it out to guys that hopefully will catch it and get you in, in positions to score. Granted, you get to the red zone and it seems like all any creativity kind of goes out the window, but that's another problem that they can work on. Um, yeah, this offense isn't doesn't give me like a ton of hope, but it at least I think there's a chance. Um, we'll see though. I I did not think I would think this coming off of Iowa State though. Yeah, I I I didn't either. Uh, there was not a lot of hope I had when we lose to Iowa State because going into that game, I'm trying to hide myself up of oh okay, I think I think we. Um, I think we could be doing really, really good. I think we have a chance because Iowa State just lost to Miami, Ohio. Like, going to that game, that was my mindset. And then after that game, like, well, that didn't go as planned. Um, but but also, like, what are we, what were we doing at quarterback beforehand has just got to be one of the biggest question marks of the whole season. Um, I think not having Bowman start against Central Arkansas or Arizona State or South Alabama – and play the whole game. Do you want to finish my sentence there? That that is such a hindrance to like timing. Saw a couple different, basically just timing routes and balls being aired out a little bit too deep. Whatever it was against Iowa State, just kind of some missed like misconnections, right? And the K State game, it seemed to all work out like much better. Um, the timing was there, but also just a lot more ingenuity on offense until the red zone. And that's something where, okay, if Ollie Gordon can just kind of break one down the sideline or two, that's what I would think that the Dave Hunziker stat of the day will be going to the pregame against KU. It'll be, okay, hey, Cowboy fans, you know, if Gordon has a run for more than 20 yards, then the Cowboys win. You know, there'll be something like that. I was trying to go back and figure out, like, oh, okay, is there a certain amount of carries? But against Arizona State, Ollie Gordon had more than six yards on average per carry or close to, I think it's 5.9 here. And that's, but he only had nine carries. Then looking at the Central Arkansas game, that stat really doesn't hold up. But against K-State, it does. You know, 6.5 yards on average per carry. That's that's the deal. And 
I, I don't know what it is with like the creativity on offense, why we saw like some crazy kind of NFL type of like wide receiver pitches back and forth and then a throwback from Presley to Alan Bowman, who I think everyone quickly learned does not have speed. Just try to do a guy out of his shoes and all due respect, probably looked like me if I was trying to do the same thing. So it's just one of those things where I I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see what we do against KU. Like, are we able to actually get an offense going? KU, it sounds like has doesn't have Jalen Daniels back, but hey, we've already seen Jason Bean before. Um, we actually played against them against him last year, last minute. He it was oh, it's Jason Bean instead of Jalen Daniels. So, what, what 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 do you think could be the the best outcome for this game? Let's say let's say we do pull it out. Like, how what's the secret to success here against KU? I think the secret this the rest of the season is going to be lower scoring games. I, I don't think OSU can win a shootout. I think they have to rely on their defense to not give up. I, I, I don't know if this offense can score more than 35. So you got to probably hold teams to under 30, um, which against Kansas is maybe possible against OU. I don't think that's possible. Um, so, so I think you your defense needs to hold them and then you can't turn the ball over. They didn't turn the ball over against Kansas State, but you did you had two two turnovers against Iowa State, which were costly. Um so I think the turn the turnover battle and then just defense is gonna be big. Um because your offense I think they can score twenty ish points a game or so. Um but they're not gonna they're not gonna go put up a seventy spot. Yeah, there's there, there was some hope coming into the season of okay, against Central Arkansas, we'll just put up forty, you know, but there's when that didn't happen in the first game against that type of a defense, kinda was starting to question from there what our offense would look like. I I do want to look at the rest of the schedule here too. So yeah, there's there's six more games left. Excuse me. Um, seven more games left. And I, I'm i curious what, what you think here. Like, we got three wins right now. Where where do you think the other three wins could, like, realistically come from? Because I'm I'm counting this game against KU. They're, they're ranked. They're coming into OSU. Let's, let's say, you know, that that one just doesn't work out. Put it nicely. We lose. So, KU, OU. I'm not counting either one of those. It's like, I feel good about just because, one, it's OU and it's Bedlam. Two, it's it's KU and they're ranked. But the other four games, at West Virginia, Cincinnati at home for homecoming, um, UCF, and excuse me, it's other five games, UCF away, Houston away, and then BYU at home on senior day. Where where do you feel the strongest about three, three more wins here? At UCF, okay. at Houston, and home against Cincinnati, I think. Yeah, I think it's all very doable. I think if West Virginia had to travel to Stillwater, I might feel differently. But going to Morgantown against an actually pretty good West Virginia team, I don't think they can win that. Um, and then, I mean, I think they could beat BYU. Question: I, I just don't know how BYU is. They, they've Arkansas is really like the only good opponent they've played and beat. Um, so, yeah, and they just, 
they I think last week they got kind of whooped by Kansas, right? Yeah, this Yeah, this um oh gosh, why did uh yes, I think this this last weekend they yeah, they they didn't do too great. Um they played Cincinnati this irks me. Yeah, they had a bye week this last week. They played Cincinnati at home, beat them, and then before then uh lost to KU by 7. Excuse me, by 9. So I think people I think BYU is good, but at the end of the year, you I mean, we'll see how they are. You got them home, though. Um, but I think it's the newcomers that you are your best chance to beat because Houston does not look good at all. UCF does not look really good at all. Cincinnati, I mean, they look good against Pittsburgh. Um, but what is Pitt? Like, so Cincinnati, you get them at home, so that helps. Um I think that's your best chance, though, to make a bowl is you just got to beat up on the newcomers. Yeah, no, I, I think you're totally right. Well, now I got to ask you about Gundy, though. So horrible segue. But going to the K-State game, I want to have like the whole, hey, you know what? Gundy's done. Let's let's get rid of him. But then I do think a lot about it. Just change overall. Like Gundy's been through. Basically, the whole portal deal has not handled it well, in my opinion. NIL has not handled it well, in my opinion. I don't know if I'm going to get a lot of pushback on that whatsoever. I think that's the consensus. But now, he said a lot of things this week. Seems like he kind of knows. Got to, you know, kind of do a little PR correction here. But then also, it just, it looks so bad. The coaching decisions of your son playing when, yes, Gunner looked just as good as the other guys, to be honest. He was putting up just stats just as good. He clearly can run faster than Alan Bowman, or at least he looks more elusive, I'll say it that way, than Alan Bowman. And Rangel hasn't proven to be like, oh my gosh, look at the deep balls he can throw, or look at the zip he puts on balls, you know, towards the line of scrimmage. He's not doing anything to stand out either. But running a three-quarterback system for the first three games, having a basically a, a big loss in the transfer portal this offseason that I think we all could have understood from last season, but also not to the extent it was. I think we probably thought we'd keep more guys than than lose all those guys, um, especially offensively when a bunch of wide receiver spots are going to open up from graduates and et cetera. So what do you think about Gundy now that we've, granted, we're, we're now have a winning record. We're three and two. We beat KCA at home, who we're home underdog to. What are your thoughts on Gundy? I gave him credit. He took the the bye week and adjusted, and I think they really worked on things that they needed to. He finally got rid of that asinine three-quarterback system that I don't know how you're getting blown out to South Alabama and you don't be, you don't like make a correction during the game and say, hey, we got to put Bowman in, and he just has to be the guy in this game. He sticks with it. Um, I think that, yeah, I think the quarterback, three quarterback switching was one of the worst ideas you could have. I mean, clearly none of them separated themselves during practice leading up into the season, um, but you got to just pick one because the saying is if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. If you have three quarterbacks, then each guy's playing three three drives and that's it. Like it's so it was so bad. Um I I still think I mean you can't get rid of him because of this 
wild revolving every year it adds on another year kind of a contract you gotta it you, the administration somehow needs to find it a, a way to put it into that to where it actually just is like four years and then it counts down because if not like you're just saying okay he's our quarter he's our head coach until he wants to leave and you're putting yourself in such a tough situation there i do think a coordinator change needs to happen you just need some new energy in that building you need something new um in that program i think even after the the kansas state win and even i mean they could win go five and two the rest of the season and i still think they need something new because you lose all those transfers you probably will have more people transfer out this year even if they you know make a New Year's Six Bowl. If they go crazy, like they went out and go to a New Year's Six Bowl, I still think you need some new energy. You're probably still going to have transfers. Um, Gundy is who he is, though. Like he's not going to change. He's going to be who he is and want his system. And so it kind of, I mean, OSU's program kind of is what it is with Gundy for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I've I've read different things where like the buyout would be twenty five million, the buyout would be thirty five million, or or just the buyout would be like insane for for OSU to buy out Gundy and and say hey, thanks so much for everything, but but see you later. I don't think it's at a point where Gundy needs to be fired like tomorrow. I think if we had lost to K State horrendously at home, then we really would be hearing that a lot more, and everything would be amplified. But then again, it's it's not a it's not a position I thought we'd be in. I didn't think I'd be saying okay, we beat K-State, but we lost to South Alabama. Like, I did, just didn't think that would be possible going into the season. And I'm, I'm excited that that happened, of course. But at the same point, like, Iowa State hasn't proven to be good whatsoever. We lost to them. Is this K-State game like a fluke? How are we going to look against KU this weekend? Is the offense in the first half against the K-State game just really, okay, K-State had no real game plan to prepare for against us. They didn't know what they were going to see. Or is there some type of, okay, now we've got a rhythm. We've got some type of, let's get to it. We're doing better and better. And some flow. Because that's that's what we would hope. If this season ends out where Gundy does make a bowl game, but let's say we only win three more games, which from the looks of it, there's at least four winnable games here down the stretch. At least four. So... If if that does happen, I do think Gundy needs to, needs to just think about, okay, how do I want my career at OSU to be? Because I don't think he's going to change. I think OSU will have to have that tough discussion with him of, hey, you know what? What what are we doing? Like, you, you got you to gotta use the Transportal. You got to use the NIL. You got to really hype that up. And Gundy, this, you know, this week's press conference, he, uh, you know, Monday's press conference, he said, you know what? Don't donate money to basically a new stadium. Donate money to the NIL. That's where all of this is going now. So if that does make the change, we see some of these things happen. Like Utah has every single player on scholarship for Utah football has a truck. Like they, they have it. It's a weird deal where like you only have it for that semester on the team. You make grades, et cetera. But like if, if that's what Oklahoma State is competing with, and I don't think we're as good of a program as Utah is, but they're going to be in the Big 12 next year. So, you think about competing with them, Gundy, Gundy and the whole OSU community has to really get on board with that. I wish I had some dollars to throw at the NIL program, but 
I I hope that not only the staff but also Gundy makes a change because otherwise I think it's gonna be a very rude awakening for the next like three or four years. And I thought this would be one of the I thought this would be one of the pluses we had going into the new Big 12 of, oh, we've got a seasoned head coach who's been here for a while. We've got that stability in the program there. And instead, it's kind of looking like it's the other way. KU all of a sudden, sudden is shooting up. They've got a brand new head coach-ish. Uh, Baylor, Dave Aranda has not proven to be the guy. But then again, like next year, Baylor could just flip the script and be good again. You never know. But then Texas Tech, they're up and down. There's just so many teams here who are now up and down. BYU could look bad. UCF could look great next year. Who knows? But we're in the exact same boat as all of them, is point being. And I, I do think, I, I think you're right. I think having a new defense is going to be really tough this rest of this year. And it's going to be tough to hold teams to a low amount of points. It happened with Jim Knowles in the new defense when he came in in 2018 or 2019, I forget. And then the defense wasn't that good. The defense just hasn't been that good this year either because, one, we, we lost Mason Cobb and Trace Ford and a bunch of other guys on defense. Like, we lost some depth there as well. We've had, hey, Cameron Epps, he wasn't supposed to play this season. He was a redshirt freshman, I believe, and then all of a sudden has two interceptions in a game. Like, that's one of the huge highlights of the season, but it just goes off another point of, like, this season is not working out the way we thought it would at all, but there's so many changes going on overall that I I just don't know what the game plan is for for the team for like next year because starting Bowman cool but that's starting Bowman is like oh we have everything to put around him and all we need is one healthy year of Matt Ryan to win the Super Bowl type of deal you know that that's that's what we're setting up for because you can college football you only get one more year so I, I just I just wonder what the game plan is a quarterback for Gundy I thought that was a staple and I do think he needs to look in the mirror and say, you know, what, what, what do it's my new staple here, if anything? Yeah. Yeah. I think after the K-State game, I'm cautiously optimistic that they could make a bowl, but I do not feel good about their program as a whole, if that makes sense. I don't think they're going in the right direction. I think they're, we've gone from, playing Baylor in the Big 12 championship game and and you almost win, you lose on the one yard line to I mean really like yeah, they're in the middle of the pack in a not very good Big 12. Like really the Big 12 is Texas and OU and and then what Kansas yeah. and West Virginia and and it falls off quickly and they're those shoes just kind of right in the middle of that. Not, not the worst, definitely not anywhere close to the best. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So I, I don't know exactly what change needs to be happening, but it just feels like sometimes it change is good and you need new blood, new ideas, new energy in the building. And I, it feels like this, program kind of just needs something new a new influx of something yeah i thought those new jerseys would be would be one of the new points but that's that's not been good enough of a change here so just seems unfortunate well do you mind if i ask you about the dallas cowboys here your your nfl team for a little bit before we end this one out um 
I felt great until Sunday night kicked off. Yeah, I I, w- I would too at that point. You know, I mean, that was a, a great start of the season for sure. Except, I mean, the, the, the Cardinals game was weird, but but that's just a weird, one weird game, you know. I think the Cowboys are probably maybe the third best team in the NFC. I think 49ers are the best. And then, I mean, we'll see. When the Cowboys and Eagles play, I think that kind of decides the second best team. But I think it's a clear 49ers, and then there's a gap to, like, Eagles and Cowboys. And then there's a gap to, I don't know who's after that, like Tampa Bay maybe or... Seattle, yeah. Seattle, yeah. I the the NFC is, is kind of interesting this year with that. Um, yeah, the Arizona game. I think the Cowboys just did not come to play. They kind of overlooked that game. Didn't really take Arizona uh, for what they are. Um, but I was I was looking after the the Forty ers game. I was looking at it, and and really Dallas has not played good teams besides the 49ers and they got whooped like they played the Jets against Zach Wilson yeah like you look at the schedule it's like oh yeah they're three and two but their three wins are really not against good quarterbacks and good teams and you lost to Arizona it's such a huge statement win to win Sunday night football to open up the season in in you know in New York in New Jersey I guess I should say but yeah I mean against the Giants who I think a lot of people thought they could have similar success they had last year and then it's really good to see okay now you're going to beat the Bill Belichick coached Patriots by just an absolutely absurd margin you beat them by 35 points they couldn't do anything on offense the defense looks incredible even after Trayvon Diggs goes down but then oh wait a second, maybe the Patriots just really are bad. Maybe they just really suck. Like, I got, we haven't seen that before. I, you know, I mean, in, in my 30 years, like, I don't really remember the last 20 years I've been watching, you know, watching NFL football that the Patriots have been just bad. And then I don't remember seeing that before. Like, I remember them always being competitive. They had the Matt Castle year. They have a couple Brady years that are just a little bit subpar, but the subpar years are them still making the playoffs. Like, uh, the subpar years are them still having 10-ish wins. So, and that's before it went to a 17-game schedule. So, that that was a weird game. And then, yeah, you're right. Look at that Niners game, and it's on Sunday Night Football, so everyone's watching it again. It's the Cowboys, and it's the worst loss they've ever had against the Niners. And the Niners maybe just may just be, like, that good. They they may just be that incredible, but it does give a little... Uh, look ahead here to the Cowboys schedule and see, okay, who do they have coming up? I mean, they got, they got the chargers in a week. Um, I, I, if I'm a Cowboys fan, I feel pretty decent about that one because they did just the chargers. Like I just, I, I love the chargers. I think they'll, I think they're a really good team, really good organization, but like it's the chargers, just anything can happen. You can never say, Oh, you know what? Like if the Panthers played the Chargers this year, I'd be like, oh gosh, as a Chargers fan, like what's going to happen in that game? Just just because you just field goals, whatever, right? Just always just cautiously optimistic that something's going to go good. But then the Cowboys play the Rams, and then it comes back to round to the where they do play the Eagles um, in November. So I there's a couple games here in the middle where 
Weirdly enough, you know, the Cowboys play back-to-back L.A. teams, but I, I think that's more of a, okay, now they face actually some teams that have a couple of wins that are decent wins too, and not just like, oh, the Jets beat the Broncos and weirdly the Bills the same game. You know, like that that Jets game, I don't know how much to put into that anymore. Yeah, and they're playing better quarterbacks. Justin Herbert, Matt Stafford, better quarterbacks before you play Jalen Hurts. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this defense is still good. I think it's like the 49ers, their offense is just so, I don't even know the right word, like so calculated. Like everything they do works to a T. Even if it's a three-yard run, it's like, oh, that could have been a 30-yard run if he doesn't get tripped or something. Like every, it just seems like, everything um, and and Brock Purdy is good enough to operate that offense and hand the ball to Christian McCaffrey or hit George Kittle for a 20-yard touchdown or hit Debo across the middle or hit Ayuk down the side. They just have so many weapons. It's it's like, oh, you can try to stop the run and we'll throw it 25 times straight to all of our targets or, oh, okay, you're going to drop and coverage will run Christian McCaffrey 20 times in a row like it's it's really pretty special what they have and then their defense is maybe the best defense in the league yeah if if I'm a Niners fan I am I'm not worried about Purdy that much anymore like I've seen enough now where I wouldn't be that worried about him I wouldn't be that worried about really a lot of other things except for injuries like you're just knocking on wood the entire time injuries don't happen to your team um basically going forward because you're totally right. They have guys who pop out of the blue, like Jordan Mason. I had no idea who that guy was going into Sunday night, but of course he ends up leading the team in yards and scores a touchdown uh, rushing the football. And then Purdy puts up over 250 yards passing throws for four touchdowns. And this is a guy who the Mr. Relevant thing has been so played out, but this is a guy who was a seventh round draft pick out of college. Like no matter what, he just doesn't have the, the theoretical intangibles you'd you having a guy to play that. I mean, that's, I'm not saying that's going to be like you or I going out there, but Brock, Brock Purdy, we saw him play at Iowa state against OSU. He was not doing anything special. He was not like extending plays and it was, Oh, that's the Brock Purdy, Iowa state game. It was maybe that in a bad way or okay. Brock Purdy's good enough to help them win, but not, you know, it was, we never saw like, Oh, that's the Brock Purdy Heisman game, or that's the game Brock Purdy took over against, and really even against like um, I almost said against Iowa State, but really even against like West Virginia or TCU or Texas Tech or whatever. Like he didn't, he didn't take over games against lesser opponents. You know, I'm not against OU. Weirdly enough, I think he has like a pretty decent record, or those games are always close. But, but yeah, this is. Uh, this, this Niners team, this is one where I, I kind of look back and I go, wait, the NFL is the one with the salary cap, right? Like, you're not supposed to be able to have Chris McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, you know. I mean, George Kittle. Saving on, on quarterback. Right, right. It just, it there, there's just like so many playmakers they have at each part of the team. And, and you're right, it is because they don't have to pay a quarterback, you know, 200 plus million dollars. But... Yeah, look on defense. Like I can when I can name a bunch of Niners players and they don't play in the same conference or in the same division of the team that I root for in the Chargers, 
that's where it's like, okay, they have all these star players. How are they able to do this? You know, even when they do have, you know, just a, just a quarterback who's, I mean, I don't know what Brock Perry's getting paid, but it can't be great if he's a second-year quarterback on a seventh-round draft pick salary. So yep. I, I'm sure he's, you know, getting all the, the best perks of life. I'm not trying to say he's having a bad time, but it it's interesting to me how they have, I mean, you know, then I kind of keep scrolling down. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. They have Brandon Ayuk. You know, I haven't mentioned his name yet. So it's just they they have an embarrassment of riches there. Um, well, hey, we'll go ahead and wrap this one on a on a note here. I'll ask you for NFL-wise. Right now, if you got to pick, we're five games in the season. <clears throat> Looking ahead to the Super Bowl already. February can't come soon enough. I'm just joking. We're all loving football season, I know. But... What would be your pick here as far as, okay, this these two teams play? And I'm not asking for the champion, but but who's playing the Super Bowl this year? I don't think it's the Bills after that performance against Jacksonville, although I think they were a little jet-lagged maybe, um, and Jacksonville got to stay over there. Um, I, I think it's probably Niners-Chiefs. Mm, okay. Um, okay. Hard to, hard to pick against Mahomes. Um, their defense actually looks really good with Chris Jones in the middle and and some of their secondary. I think, yeah, I think it's Niners Chiefs at this point after having seen, I don't know if I would have done that preseason um, if I think back, but just having watched them the first few weeks, both those teams, uh, they look like the most complete teams of each conference right now. All right, well, I I'm going to say I think it's still Niners, but I think it's Niners Dolphins. I think the Dolphins are going to think the Niners are going to be right there. I just think the the Chiefs like if something happens with, when something happens with Kelsey. I'm like, all right, who else are they throwing the ball to? And that's 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 the main thing of like Mahomes is incredible, but does he have that like Brady esque incredibleness where he can just make a receiver be a star guy out of nowhere? Where all of a sudden you and I are talking about Dion Branch. You know, or, or somebody, right? Like like Julian Edelman, incredible guy. Wes Welker, incredible guy. But those guys were not first-round draft picks. You know, I mean, the Randy, it's one of those where, okay, when Pat Holmes had Tyreek Hill, well, that's, I think, kind of like Brady having Randy Moss. You know, and then, then we're going to be looking, going, okay, well, can he still put up record numbers with guys who just, just are not household names? You know, I mean, they could be at some yeah. point, but, but yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, one, and I just have to think of one more question to ask you here, just with, uh, I know you travel a lot for work, so maybe you can give us some more insight here, but like the bills going over for jet lag, are the bills as jet lagged going to, uh, going to London, England as they would be going to, as like the bills would be if they were going like West coast, like if they, like if the bills are going to Seattle. Right, like that's kind of the same travel distance and stuff, you know. I mean, does that, or is it, or do you think that matters at all here? Because that's that's one of the things where, like, if the Chargers or Rams have to go to London, I'm like, okay, well, that's it's a six hour just get across the United States, and it's another six. But like, if you're the Bills, it's a good question. Yeah, because so the game kicked off at nine or nine thirty Buffalo time. At five hours, I think it is. Sounds right. Yeah. Games. So I, I, it depends. I think maybe on what time they flew, like what day they flew over there. 
Um, so yeah, maybe not. I I think the start time matters a lot though, because if they if they're going west, and then they're playing a night game, or they're playing. Like I think you want that middle window, right? Yeah. Because if you're playing a night game, then your your body clock's way off, and you're maybe t- a little tired. Or if you're playing a really early game. Well that, yeah, it's just well, it's just it's a night game. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just something that I was like thinking of when when it comes down to it. How much work? Like Jacksonville. I don't know how much longer their flight is, but if you're talking about like jet lag from amount of travel time itself and you're like, Mm -hmm. and going from that aspect of it. Okay. Well, yeah. Jacksonville, Jacksonville, I think benefited because they would have just stayed in London from the week before. Right. So they, they at least didn't have to travel that week. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just Buffalo looked just a little kind of out of whack, and maybe it was just not jet lag or anything. Maybe they're just a little out of whack. But uh, it's a good yeah. question, a good thought experiment. Well, It'll be interesting because I'm sure we'll get the uh, the London Jaguars soon. The oh yeah, over there they're smooth, right? Oh yeah, I mean the the, the add on to this point is like we're only going to see more NFL games in Europe. We're only going to we're probably going to see a European NFL team here before too long, and the Jaguars who, are, you know, I mean it's got it's going to be them. So it's just one of those things that, yeah, I, I like to think about. Of okay, where's like the league headed? What's the next five years look like? And I think there's a game in Germany this weekend, or maybe it's another London game. Of like, I want to say it's like. Um, it's not Colts Jaguars, I know that, but I, I want to say there's another game here coming up I think you're right. this season where it's it's over in Europe again, and it's it's not the Jaguars. So it's just one of those things where you, know, you think through how this is all mapping out the NFL and what hurts and helps teams. And when we're talking about like when I see so many things on social media, oh they're playing on turf versus they're playing on grass. Well then also I'm thinking about okay, well if you're traveling from Seattle and you've got to go to London, that's just going to be way worse than if you're going from New York to London. That just is going to be. So how in the future will the London Jaguars play the Seattle Seahawks? You know, will that ever happen? The Niners, the, you know, will we ever see those matchups? Because realistically, doesn't jet, you know, travel time need to get faster for all that to make any type of sense? But you know what? As we've seen here with the NFL, Money rules everything. That's why all these teams are still playing on turf. That's why there still is going to be turf, basically fields, even after FIFA. Teams are going to put in grass and then for FIFA games and then take it right out because I think it's just too much to maintain with that in stadiums and concerts in the in the arenas. So we'll uh, we'll see. But it's always a fun fun question here for for somebody I know who travels a lot for work. So you could tell us more about the uh, the travel insights than anything else. You know. Yeah, I've uh, been jet lagged once or twice in my life for sure. That's it, just once or twice. But yeah, yeah, one day. Well, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, just one ask for sure. Well, well, the BS man himself. Uh, thanks so much for joining here on the latest podcast of the CGA Tour, and catch you again soon. Please follow the CGA Tour if you're not already. The CGA uh, Tour. That's all. Any podcast unlike any other.
welcome back to the latest episode of the CGA Tour Podcast. As always here, I'm your host, Calvin Glenn Alexander. And this episode of the podcast here is brought to you by me, myself, and I, as I basically did not get a guest for this week, but decided to run it back with the podcast, keeping it status quo here uh, for the podcast week. With it being a Friday as I record this here, I am not necessarily going to talk about the NFL or college football and instead switch up and talk a little NBA because it's that time of year. NBA Media Day just took place. And also, we got all the college football and NBA and NFL this weekend. That'll be out and going on shortly, right as you'd be able to listen to this podcast. So why not talk about something that's current that's got a little bit more leeway time here and talk about that Damian Lillard trade. So, in case you missed it, Damian Lillard got traded to Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis now has a new running mate over there in Milwaukee. And Drew Holiday uh, went over to the Celtics, basically. And that's kind of all you need to know. Um, There were some other pieces that moved around here and there, too. DeAndre Ayton moved over to the Blazers. Um, The Suns got some more depth and also got rid of Ayton's contract, which I think is the main storyline from all that commotion. And at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about the NBA here. So, what happened at Media Day? Was anything really memorable? Anything really to note? Um, Jimmy Butler looked emo. And besides that, there's nothing too much to note for Media Day, except for James Harden did not show up. But he did show up for training camp. So, we'll see how much longer he holds out with the 76ers and what they end up doing with their whole kind of political situation. There is some off-the-court stuff with James Harden. As far as a woman who is um, he dated, who is uh, currently dating a player on the 76ers and Kelly Oubre. There's also some on the court stuff as far as James Harden feeling like he got neglected and got the wrong end of a deal with Daryl Morey and didn't get a contract situation figured out. That would have been more fruitful for him. So a lot of stuff there that's just out in the universe. And I'm not really sure what to believe necessarily what reports to go with more, what really matters more. Of course, like if I got cheated on by a girl and then that player is dating the said girl and then the player is signed to my team, wouldn't love that, especially as somebody of James Harden caliber when Kelly Oubre is just not of James Harden's caliber and he got basically added to the team when I don't think he had to be. I don't think he's a championship winning piece there in Kelly Oubre for the Sixers. So it's an interesting move by Daryl Moore there, the GM. Uh, to have that go into effect. But with all this being said, I want to talk about NBA power rankings and go over basically how is it going to shake out this season? Who is going to be the top in the East? Who's going to be the top in the West? And what else do we see here? So, lead off. Denver Nuggets, did they get worse this offseason? Did they lose a lot of guys? Did they lose a lot of depth? Is there a possibility that we're going to see the Lakers come up and actually challenge them or really just, I don't know, any other Western conference team, the Suns. what if they're healthy the whole year and actually able to do it, you know, we'll be able to see, but for my money until you're different until I see something that really changes my mind here, why wouldn't it be, why wouldn't it be the nuggets? Heck their GM and I share the same first name. So of course I'm going to be a little biased there, but there's, there's not a lot of teams that have won back-to-back titles since the merger um, only 12 teams in the league, actually, history, have won back-to-back titles since the merger. And, you know, I'm not saying that Denver's the one to be, you know, basically the 13th year. 
But there's some emerging talents. There's Christian Braun, uh, who's maybe going to get some more playing time this year. It's Michael Porter Jr., who maybe he gets a lot more playing time this year, too. They did lose Bruce Brown, which, you know, isn't great because Bruce Brown did prove to be a a real guy there uh, in the playoffs. But then again, Bruce Brown was a guy that, when I was working for the Detroit Pistons, was on the team and traded away for not a lot. So was it really going to be worth it to keep Bruce Brown on the roster and with the team for the contract he got paid for. Um, Bruce Brown also went to the Indiana Pacers. So not like you lost him to the Lakers or to the Suns there, where it really hurts you that much if you're the Nuggets. Now, granted, the Pacers could flip him in the future, but to me, it was Bruce Brown wanted a little bit more of a playmaking role, a little bit more of an option, and he gets that option with the Pacers, where he wasn't going to get that with the Nuggets, no matter what iteration you think the Nuggets were going to run him back with this season. And the Nuggets also don't have to pay him. They've got a little bit more versatility there when it comes down to it. So overall, number one, the Denver Nuggets are power ranking number one here. Then that comes to number two. How can I not put the Milwaukee Bucks there? What would take me away from putting the Milwaukee Bucks there? All right, well, maybe it's Chris Middleton's health. Very interesting stuff going on in media today as far as, is he going to play? Wait, why isn't he running with the whole team? What's going on with this? What's going on with that? GM dodging questions left and right about Chris Middleton's health. Well, I'll say this. I think the Bucs are not the second best team in the league. I am going to agree, not the entire way here, but I'm going to agree with the Ringers power rankings and have the Celtics at two. Main reason being is that who's playing defense on this Bucs team besides Giannis, especially at the guard position? Are we going to see a guy who's just had his rookie year and it's going to be a sophomore in Marjan Beauchamp come back? Or is Andre Jackson going to step in and really be a stopper? But there's just so many good guards, so many good wings in the East. Who's really going to play defense besides Giannis? Now, Giannis, amazing defender. Defensive player of the year, MVP, et cetera, et cetera. Jay Crowder, maybe he returns to a vintage self. I'm not really sure. We haven't seen that in a while. But... Damian Lillard is going to get hunted in pick and rolls, just like I do whenever I play basketball and I can't stay in front of any guard. Like, Damian Lillard is an undersized guy who is an amazing offensive player, but he hasn't played in the playoffs in a long time, especially in series that, like, really matter. Yeah, winning the first-round series against the Thunder, you know what, that shot against Paul George, that one hurt, but at the end of the day, like, Oh, well, I, I that that was not one that I just really took to heart. It's like, oh my gosh, cannot believe that I'm going to basically have the rest of the Thunder life cycle here as thinking about Damian Lord's shot because honestly, they didn't do much after that. And then Damian Lord and, and the Blazers, the reason why they traded away CJ McCollum is he's an undersized guard. He couldn't play with Dane. That was, that was the reason that was going into it. Okay, well, who's going to play defense on this team? Oh, let's grab Jeremy Grant. So Jeremy Grant can help play defense against a bunch of matchups. Okay, well, now let's see if Shaden Sharp can play. No, he can't really play defense. So, you know what? We're going to just not be able to run that either next to Dame. Oh, maybe we can get another sharpshooter in. Well, it's just, it's it's a time and place deal, right? Like, if, if you're the Blazers, what do you, what's your what's your game plan here? You know, what was your game plan with with Damian Lillard? Like, why didn't it work out? Why was the Damian Lillard experiment or decade or whatever you want to call it in Portland? Why did it not work out? 
Well, because he didn't have like an Andre Roberson playing the two guard. You know, he didn't have a um, Tavo Cephalosha playing the two guard. And that's what the Thunder always had with Westbrook. And Westbrook, I think by all due accounts, is a much better defender than Dame. So, you know, given their age, I'm not going to really try to compare Dame and Westbrook. But I think with that all being said, you're going to say Westbrook's a way better defender than Dame Lillard. Well, Dame Lillard, let's see when he plays in the playoffs and he has to go up and, I don't know, guard some of these guys who are in the East. You've got some really good ball creators that are going to just run him off. I mean, Derek White in the Eastern Conference Finals, let's see here against the Celtics. Dan Lillard's not going to be able to stay in that matchup long at all. Or then, oh, maybe he has to guard, you know what, maybe he has to guard Jalen Brown because Jalen Brown can't dribble to his left. Okay, maybe, but the size matchup comparison there is just awful for Lillard. All right, well, you know what? Let's think about the other Eastern Conference teams because maybe it's just not the Celtics. Maybe I just shouldn't worry about just only the Celtics there in the East and just talk about, I don't know, some other team here in the East that would really contend. Well, you know what? The Miami Heat, right? They're the team that made it out and made all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They actually didn't get Damian Lillard. Well, it's it's something where I kind of go, okay, you know what? They're probably going to be all right. They'll probably figure out a way around it. But who's their point guard? Okay, well, it's still Kyle Lowry, maybe. And, you know, maybe they have some other guys who kind of come up out of the G League and really prove it. You're probably going to have Jimmy Butler be a lot of ball handling um, options here as well, too. But, you know what? Um, It'll be okay. Like, the Miami Heat will figure it out. I still think Damon Lord has a really good shot at just taking any Miami Heat guard and, have, and winning that matchup. So, all right. Lord's better than the Heat. So then maybe that's where I leave the Bucks. then, right? Especially when the other Eastern Conference team that I could talk about here is Philadelphia 76ers. Tyrese Maxey, James Harden. I'm not necessarily too worried about those guys either way um, as far as like their defensive potential is uh, against Dame. And offensively, Maxey's really good, but not better than Dame. Like who here wins this matchup overall? Who here has all the pluses on their side versus the minuses that are on their side as well. And Lillard's winning the Sixers and Heat kind of matchups here as a guard. There's not a lot of Eastern Conference guards where I go, oh my gosh, they're incredible. They're going to take him down. It's going to be the end of the world, except for the New York Knicks, which I think will give Giannis some trouble. Um, will get he give they give actually Giannis some trouble? Eh, 2BD. But Jalen Brunson, you know what? I think he's all right. I think he's pretty darn decent. I think he could really give Damian Lillard some issues. I think he can play great defense. I think he can stay in front of Lillard. And also, I think he could win the offensive matchup on any given night. Now, does that make me crazy? Yeah, probably, because Jalen Brunson versus Damian Lillard, anyone who's ever going, I just got one year in a bottle, who would I take? You're taking Lillard, right? But then again, Brunson and the Knicks beat the other Eastern Conference team here that I would chalk it up to, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland backcourt, like, it's great. Uh, it's really high-powered high, high offense. It's really, really good. But they just do not have the shooters around them that are really just taking them off and above. And, you know what, they did do some stuff this offseason. They signed shooters. They signed Max Struess out of Miami. But then again, this is where I come back to. Okay, I'm going to leave. Leave. The Bucks at three, keep the Celtics at two, and then who am I going to talk about after that? Because the Celtics here, they rounded out their whole entire roster. 
This has got to be go for broke. Brzingis is still healthy. I'll update this whole NBA rankings thing if Brzingis is unhealthy. I'll go back through and I'll say power rankings. Got to redo it. But at the end of the day, would you rather Marcus Smart or Drew Holiday? I, I, I did a poll amongst some friends. I know I have orange tinted glasses that are heavily Oklahoma State favored. But what's told is Drew Holiday. So, okay. All right. Cool. You know what? Drew Holiday, Defensive Player of the Year. Oh, that was Marcus Smart. But still, we're going to go Drew Holiday. All right. I feel you. I understand it. I'll chalk it up there. Al Horford, Derek White, rounding out the top of the sixth rotation there, of course, with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Drew Holiday. Awesome. You know what? That's a great, great team. I'm going to keep them there, too, until proven otherwise. And I'm knocking on a lot of wood that, you know, basically their health is uh, is going to be okay there, for especially for Berzingas. All right, so next here, who is the four for the power rankings? And trust me, I'm only going to get to five here and then talk about the Thunder for a little bit before I end out this segment of the podcast. So who do I got? Lakers or Suns, right? Those are the only two options. There's no one else that I could even think of. But hang on a second there. There's those Warriors. They got Chris Paul this offseason. Am I really going to put them up there? No, I wish I could. But you know what? Golden State and the Warriors, I just I just can't. How is Chris Paul going to share the court with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson? It's going to be weird, right? I mean, the ringer definitely thinks so. That's literally what the sentence is. It's going to be weird. But you know what I'm going to say? They'll figure it out. Chris Paul is going to be able to play off-ball guard and on-ball guard. Steph and Clay are going to be able to figure it out. It's going to be a matchup that we all are very interested to see. I trust CP3 to stay healthy enough when he doesn't have to start, when he gets to play alongside Steph and Clay, that he can make it through the whole season. But at the end of the day, Warriors, they're staying at six. So, all right. You know what? Got to say here, Suns-Lakers, who is in that four spot? It's time. Got to make my statement here. Got to cap it off in the season. I'm going Lakers, even though it's going to basically go back against my Celtics comment. The reason why I'm going to go Lakers is that when it's all said and done, LeBron is healthy when he wants to be. He plays through things. You just trust LeBron to make it through a whole season, even in year 21. It's incredible. This guy has been in my life since 03, since I started watching basketball in the third grade. LeBron has been a part of my NBA life. And you know what? Kobe was for a while. MJ really wasn't. I wish I could say he was. But at the end of the day, it's kind of kind of interesting deal. But LeBron is 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 the truth. When it comes to minutes, when it comes to as many possible, you know, a, a amount of playoff time, all that type of stuff, LeBron probably goes, you know, number one spot here over almost every single other team that's below him in the entire league. Like, does LeBron have more playoff minutes than KD? Yeah. Does he have more um, playoff minutes than a bunch of other guys? Yeah. He really, really does. But it's it's so much so that I put that over the Suns. I put the proven aspect of LeBron James going to so many finals series because this power rankings is not where I think these teams will finish at the end of the season. It is not where I think these teams will finish the end of the regular season. It is playoffs. Where do I think these teams will match up where I think they'll be? You know what? The Lakers did some other stuff here as well that I think are going to help them out a little bit. One, they signed Austin Reeves back again. 
Just like Bill Simmons, I'm also going to just give the Spurs a ton of crap here for not trying to sign Austin Reeves for the max and really throw it out there. Why not try to get Reeves if you're San Antonio Spurs? Maybe they know something we don't. Maybe they also just kind of see Austin Reeves as getting a lot of extra pluses because he's on the same team as LeBron James. But you know what? That's a reason to maybe put him next to Victor Vinyama. But that being said here, Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, great to bring back. Great to bring back Reeves because he does play really well alongside LeBron and AD. Seems to know his role. D'Angelo Russell, very tradable contract, so that's good. And he can be a plus in some lineups. He can definitely stay healthy enough to be on the court for some regular season games, especially when you're playing those kind of weekday matchups against the lesser opponents. Then, new acquisition, Gabe Vincent. Take him away from the Heat. Put him on the Lakers. That's really good for the Lakers for two reasons. One, Gabe Vincent's a good player. Two, he's not on the Heat. You might face him later on. In the finals, you just can never be too... Uh, be too worried, you know, uh, about the heat. You can never really lay off him is the best way to say it. Then you got Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt. Great pickups there as well, too. Great to re-sign him. Um, Tyrion Prince, cool. Max Christie, Cam Reddish, Christian Wood, also cool. All this being said here, the Lakers have a lot of pieces around LeBron now that should help him out a lot. And if Anthony Davis, he also said immediately that he wants to play all 82 games this season, well, if he does, then that's going to be an MVP caliber player. And when Anthony Davis is MVP caliber, I'm taking him over Kevin Durant when he's MVP caliber. At least this version of Kevin Durant. And that's why I have the Lakers at four over the Suns. The Suns, they need to do some other things here. Do they really have a defensive presence at all on this team? Who's playing solid defense? Devin Booker, he's a good defensive player, not great. Kevin Durant, good defensive player, not great. Bradley Beal, same deal. So, what are we doing here for the Suns? Because you have these three guys. You just traded away DeAndre Ayton, basically, so you don't have that huge, et cetera, huge, huge, huge extra uh, tax from the league as far as going to the salary cap. But for the Suns, you know, I mean, what are you, what are you doing? Um, you don't have any guys on the roster here looking up and down that I go, oh, that guy plays defense, or oh, that guy's a plus on defense. You have some guys who are probably going to stay in front of people, but you got Yusuf Nurkic, who's a worse center than Deion Drayton in every way ever. I mean, you could think of, right? Like he's he's older, he gets torched more often, he's got way more injury issues. I'm not loving that, but it does give you a little bit more depth because I guess now you've got a couple other guys to add onto the bench. Grayson Allen, cool. But I really think the Suns are just going to be trying to sign the buyout guys to help them beef up lineups, help them, you know, be better, uh, quote unquote, in the playoffs. Because until then, I think the Suns are just signing a lot of depth so that Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and KD can all miss a couple of games here and there because they'll need to. All three of these guys have have not played a lot of games in the regular season for the past several years. KD has had issues Every single year, I feel like that's what is going to be the underlying issue with the Nets is that KD just really never played that much. And so, can you believe when the Nets had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden? Yeah, for 13 games because KD would be injured because Kyrie would sit out games due to vaccination stuff or be injured. And James Harden was barely there. He was there for like half a season, if that. So, things are going to happen. Things are going to change. But Suns right now, that's why they belong at five. We'll be back in one second here 
to talk some Thunder basketball before ending this podcast out here. All right. Well, sorry for the wait. So Thunder basketball, what are Thunder fans feeling coming to this season? You've got a starting five of potentially amazing players. SGA, Shea Gilders, Alexander, MVP caliber, first all team. Heck, with Team Canada, he was fortunate up here um, in the World Championships this summer. So SGA, amazing. You've got Lou Dort there, kind of whoever you're playing at the two slash three. But Lou Dort, let's see. He's an amazing defensive player, also incredibly good. Just got signed to the big contract this offseason in case he missed it over the summer. And then you've got Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy, probably poised here to have a really breakout season with Jalen Williams also getting a lot of attention now. So now Josh Giddy, not a ton of attention on him necessarily compared to Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams getting a lot of preseason buzz, a lot of hype here for the Thunder coming back as a sophomore. So you know what? That makes Josh Giddy's workload just a little bit easier. He gets to kind of fly under the radar a little bit. Gets to be that six foot eight Australian player who just blows by guys with simple dribbles because of his size and height and athleticism going down in the paint. And you don't think about Josh Giddy being six foot eight. Like I, I don't. I think of him more as a guard because he's that good ball handling, that good passing. But he is, he is a tall dude. I mean, he's not your six foot two guy who's able to make some crazy good passes, but misses threes. He's six foot eight. He's going to play with his back to the basket a little bit more than you would ever think a guy, uh, basically his passing caliber would. Then also you've got Chet Holmgren here as well too. Don't want to not say his name. Don't have any uh, horrible grammar mistakes I can make here going forward on the podcast, but that was not great. Either way here, Chet, what's he what's he looking like? He's got currently the third best odds on FanDuel or DraftKings, whatever one you want to look at. For making rookie of the year. So we're we looking at as far as Chet Holmgren. I think we could be looking at the perfect complimentary piece to this Thunders run and gun type of team where when the play gets slow, everything builds up, center's got to clog the paint for Chet Holmgren. That leads into, excuse me, that, that clogs the paint up for SGA. You know what? Chet, he's able to make the outside shots a little bit here and there. He's able to have those dribble handoffs. He's able to have those perfect pick and pop screens. Also, Chet, seven feet, seven feet tall for this guy who I know needs to put on some more muscle. We're all probably super worried about his injury stuff because he already missed one season due to injury. But as Thunder fans, this is a guy who, at the end of the day, has so much potential. It's still so incredibly young. I don't think I need to keep saying that that much more. But you think about Poku and go, oh, you see flashes here and there of how good he could be. Well, think about just all those flashes, just being a guy, and that being Chet Holmgren. And also thinking about him adding seven different other things and the Swiss Army Knife tools that Chet Holmgren has that are just phenomenal. Hitting more outside shots, having better passing ability, having better basketball IQ, and really just being able to flow with an offensive field a lot better than Pekoshevsky, just a lot better overall. And then do I need to spend more time on Jalen Williams? I feel like I already touched on him a little bit here. But Jalen Williams, he's incredible. I think this Thunder team is amazing. Can't wait to see Casey Wallace. Can't wait to see plenty of other guys get out on the court this year. 
Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to be, I think, a huge fan favorite going on in the season because he's going to have some extra minutes on the court against some bad matchups. I mean, this Thunder team has been really young for a couple of years, not for forever, but for a little bit. And there's a lot of potential for this team to not only make it to the playoffs, but I think win around, which right now should be the expectation. Get to the playoffs, win a round. No, I'm not I'm not talking playing. I'm I'm saying get to the playoffs, win a round. Now, if you're the eighth seed or seventh seed, winning that first round is I I mean historically tough. But like if you match up against, I don't know, maybe the Suns and they're not super healthy, you got a good chance. But like let's say the Thunder end up matching up against the Clippers. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine what kind of a fun matchup that would be in the playoffs? Of okay, you got Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Russell Westbrook against this new Thunder running gun team that's gonna make you sprint up and down the court that has the ability to do play incredibly well in transition. And it's just so young, so athletic. Where you got the Clippers is a bunch of older veteran type of guys on the roster. And of course, Thunder still have some Clippers draft picks, I believe. And you're looking at SGA trade right in the eyes if you're Steve Ballmer going, should we have done it? Should we really have done this whole deal? Or should we have not done it? Should we have not traded for Kawhi and Paul George? Now, Steve Ballmer is probably saying no matter what at the end of the day, yeah, I should still have done that because it's brought him in a lot more attention, money, etc. But let's say there's a potential couple Thunder Clippers matchups this year. I'm going to love to see how many Clippers play in those games because we know the Thunder should be playing all the guys all the time. Are the Clippers really going to rest guys on purpose just to kind of duck the Thunder? I don't know. It'd be a lot of fun. Be very, very interesting here. So, want to talk here about NBA power rankings. Want to talk a little bit about the Thunder. Want to talk about the top five teams. I want to go over the little Dame Lillard trade to Milwaukee. You know what? Shout out Bucks, though. Getting it done. Keeping Giannis in Milwaukee for at least a couple more seasons, one would think, because Dame Lillard signed to not, not a small contract, definitely a longer one time-wise. We all know it's a lot money-wise, but it's definitely a good amount time-wise here, too. And then, I got to say, this Thunder team, this Thunder organization is just awesome. Like, it, it's, it's going to be so much fun to be a Thunder fan this season. Could not tell people enough how excited I am to watch this Thunder team because you're still in the expectations window where it's expectations are sky high but they're not due tomorrow like rents do rents always do on the first we can always make that joke well the Thunder have to prove they're getting better year over year they made the play in you know play in tournament last year this year like are they gonna make it to play in tournament again or not I think they will for sure just it's gonna be amazing how the Thunder play this year. And the part about the whole rent thing here is the Thunder, like the timeline's not tomorrow. The timeline where all of it is, is, oh my gosh, there's all this pressure now for them to win it all because they made the Western Conference Finals or something. It's just not there yet. This is still the time to really love and enjoy Thunder basketball, get out to Paycom Center, support the team, and really just watch some awesome basketball. Watch a bunch of guys who love playing together, love, you know, making fun of each other all over social media, especially like YouTube with Jalen Williams' vlog and stuff like that. 
where at the end of the day, like this is this is a fun team to watch, fun team to be around. There's not a lot of politics. You don't hear the off the court stuff. There's not, oh, this guy has a trade request, man. There's nothing like that. So enjoy it because you know what? This is not the Milwaukee Bucks situation where they're worried about losing Giannis in a couple of years. This is not the Miami Heat where it's, okay, will they get all the things they need to do to be up there? This is also not like the Golden State Warriors if we're hanging on to the end of the, you know, the end of the series, the end of the title uh, kind of run there. Not the LA Lakers where they're seeing the last couple of years of LeBron. It's not the Suns either with kind of KD and his twilight-ish peak years, right? Like KD still is an amazing player every single day of the week, but you're also not pushing all the chips into the middle of the table yet. You get to enjoy this team and who they are and what they play like, how much they all seem to be friends on and off the court. And you've got SGA as kind of being like the vet in the room who's still not 30. In fact, I don't think he's 27. So he may not even be 25. Um, that, that's the fun part here is that like you get to watch a Thunder team really just love playing together. And SGA is 25 right now. So with all being said here, I think I've rallied on a bit too long. Might follow this up with a little Oklahoma State basketball or Oklahoma State football. Probably Oklahoma State football here segment at the end of this one after tonight, Friday night's game against Kansas State. Maybe there'll be a couple uh, couple minutes here and there before I wrap this one up and throw it out. Hopefully so. But as always, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you guys again soon. Hope you're having a good one. Peace.